Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Action Network College's podcast. This is the 2019 college football preseason betting preview part six. I'm Stucky and with me as always is Colin Wilson. And this is the Colin Wilson specialty episode. We're talking SCC West, uh, starting off with the Arkansas Razorbacks. Uh, You ready to talk some Arkansas and SEC West today? Talking about my 1964 national champions? Of course I am. In case you didn't know, we won the basketball championship in 94. So, yes. Cash your tickets on Colin <laughs> mentioning uh, the 90s Hogs basketball team once again. Uh, we will have uh, a great guest here coming right from LSU's practice. He's going to join us to talk LSU. Brody Miller from The Athletic, the LSU beat writer. Lots of questions about LSU. We have a potential sleeper for the college football playoff, potentially. For those of you that are looking for the SEC East, don't worry. It's coming next episode. Uh, we'll also have Drew Franklin on there to talk Kentucky uh, football, and we'll cover the entire SEC East. Between 1998 and 2005, which is eight seasons, the SEC only had one national title, and it was a split in 2003 with LSU and USC. But since 2005... In the 13 championships since then, the SEC has won nine of them, Uh, you know, but they did have a disappointing year last year, especially for their standards. They went five and five in the bowls. And then, you know, Bama and Georgia, as everyone knows, got blown out in their final games. And by the way, in the SEC this year, you know, we talk a lot about coaching changes in some of these other conferences. There's no coaching changes. Now there's some coordinators that are new that we'll get to, but there was no head coaching changes going into the SEC this year. So, the head man in every program is back. Let's start with your hogs. Their win total, five and a half at Westgate, over five and a half, plus 160. You make it 4.9. They're 300 to one to win the uh. SEC. And look, it's the second year of Chad Morris and his offensive schemes and, you know, the second year of the 4-3 defense. So maybe there's some improvement just in that sense. I didn't even prep that much for Arkansas because whatever you say, is gospel to me with the hog. So take it away. And uh, what can we expect from Arkansas football this year? And if you have any take on uh, their win total? Well, let's first start off by saying that the time that it's going to take you and I to record this podcast, Brett Bielham has made around $34,000. So where he's still on the payroll, uh, but how that translates to this year's team is we've got more buy-in. We've got less of Brett Bielema's players in the locker room. We've got more believers, more people that want to play for Chad Morris. And, hey, we are going to have a quarterback that is familiar with what he wants to do. That's in transfer Ben Hicks, who's coming up from SMU. He's going to be the starter. I know odds are around minus 150 to minus 200 for him to be the starter over Nick Starkle, who also transferred in. But Starkle's got two years of eligibility. Hicks knows the Chad Morris offense very well. He's the one that's going to be the starter. It feels weird. Chad Morris has adopted this all-in campaign 
asking players to give off their best effort to turn around the worst season, the SEC that we've ever had. Uh, no wins in the SEC. Uh, you know, shut out Tulsa. Woo, congrats. And uh, we beat Eastern Illinois, but we also were given five turnovers in that game. We've stolen this all-in campaign directly from Clemson, which, you know, Chad Morris came from there. That's fine. You know, this schedule is the easiest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. We're talking Portland State, who is under a quarterback competition and a freshman's probably going to win it. Colorado State, who beat us last year. I mean, we were double-digit favorites last year. Oh, we got lots of voicemails on that. Well, Colorado State, you f***ing suck. So many teams in the SEC have brutal, vicious schedules, Mm -hmm. but Arkansas is not one of them. Go ahead. Colorado State, they lost Carter Samuels at quarterback. San Jose State, no, you know, nothing needed to say there. And Western Kentucky. Now, listen, I understand, Razorback fans, for those of you listening, that Michigan bailed on us for a home-and-home series with Notre Dame. They were supposed to be on the schedule. I understand. But this is absolutely pathetic. Now, let's talk the win total at five and a half. It's juiced under five for a good reason. So where are those two wins going to come from? If you take the non-conference and assume that this Arkansas team that only won two games last year and one of them was against FCS, if you're going to assume that they're going to get to six, which would be a four-game jump, which would be pretty impressive, then it's going to be the Ole Miss game. Uh, you know, that's going to be a problem. That's going to be in week two. They're looking for an identity. We're going to get to them. Uh, you're looking at a road game at Kentucky. That's going to be tough to do. They've kind of elevated their program. Or an extremely pissed-off Missouri in the last game of the season where if they're not bowl eligible, they're going to take it out on Arkansas. So the under is the only way to go. 4.9 is spot on. I wouldn't be surprised at four wins. I just kind of hope for the program and for my for my alma mater and, and everybody back home that we at least get to four wins or else two wins and Chad Morris may be down the road after year two. Yeah, I mean, there's some potential good fade spots that I'm seeing. Like that San Jose State game at home, you know, it's the week before Texas A&M in Arlington. San Jose mm-hmm. State's off a bye. So, you know, Arkansas might be a little sleepy there, resting starters in the second half, uh, assuming they have a big lead. Um, I agree. The win total, you know, of five and a half, it feels a little high. Now, it's high juice to the under. And I think you got to go under five and a half um, if you're going to play this year. I mean, what what could potentially go in a perfect world, go right? John Chavis's 4-3 defense would, would have to keep improving. They were atrocious to start last season. And the special teams, you and I are big on special teams. That North Texas that punt against North Texas where we he he fake fair caught it and then decided to run for a 70-yard something touchdown while all the Arkansas players walked off the field, that's coaching. That's pathetic. We still don't have a special teams coordinator. It's a group Oof. effort. It got, that's got to improve too. Yep. Yeah, it might be a, a, a long year for the Hogs. But, I mean, they did <laughs> lose some close games last year, so maybe that turns around. Um, but I think it's under or nothing here. We will have a ton more about Arkansas throughout the year, don't worry. And also some uh, 90s. Arkansas basketball, and uh, maybe even some 60s Arkansas talk. Uh, But let's move on to a real contender uh, in the SEC, and that's uh, Alabama. They are minus 160 to win the conference. The win total is 11.5, plus 140 to the over. Colin, you make this 11.4. Look, Mm -hmm. I mean – they did lose a lot to the draft. You know, obviously two is back. There's, you know, he's there's some injuries potentially that he's dealing with now that you'll get to. But I mean, this team can obviously just reload. I mean, the first team SEC, there are 12 Bama players on it. And the first team SEC team. The next highest is Georgia with four. They have three times as much as Georgia. But look, we've talked about this a lot. This is the third straight year that Saban has to replace both his offensive and defensive coordinator. It's got to eventually catch up to him. Now, the offense is loaded. I mean, especially wide receiver. 
Uh, you have, you know, Ruggs and Judy, Jalen Waddle, explosive also in the return game. I, I mean, it's the offense is, is going to be electric, uh, assuming Tua can stay healthy. They also have a really easy schedule in the first, you know, month of the season. They started against Duke in Atlanta, then New Mexico State at home or at SC, Southern Miss at home, Ole Miss at home. Let's be honest, this team should be 5-0 and going, you know, to Texas A&M. Uh, and they will play each other. Both of those teams are off, off a bye. Then they're home against Tennessee, home against Arkansas, home against LSU. Then they're at Mississippi State. So, and then home against Western Carolina. Uh, but look, I love the under here. Uh, I think they're definitely dropping one, either one. I know the schedule is easy to start, but at Texas A&M, at Mississippi State, at Auburn to end the year, uh, I think they're dropping at least one. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if they drop two. What are your thoughts on Bama? Let's heat up this podcast a little bit. Alabama is not going to make the college football playoff. That is not just a statement that I'm making in thin air. Uh, I am flying to Vegas in a couple of weeks to watch some week zero action because there is a shop that is hanging a no number, a nice, juicy Bama to the playoff no number. And I'm going to go put my money where my mouth is. And I don't, I think they're going to lose to Georgia. And I mean, this SEC West thing, it's been fun for Alabama for a while to kind of smack the rest of the conference around, get a scare out of Ole Miss some years. Uh, you know, consistently beat the spread, but not cover against non-conference play. And the coordinator thing is just, it, it's its way too much. I know i know you said that, but let's go over these names. I mean, Mike Loxley, Brian Dabble, Lane Kiffin on the offensive side. The last three years, we've had Tosh Lapoy, uh, Jeremy Pruitt, Kirby Smart. And the stats are finally starting to show. Now, that they, they're bringing in Pete Golding from UTSA, from Meep Meep. We love the Roadrunners as much as anything. Yeah, their defense was good based upon Alabama's new defensive coordinator, Pete Goulding, who always ranked top 25 in Havoc. Uh, so now he is the, he was an assistant last year. Now he is the defensive coordinator at Alabama. And on the offensive side of the ball, we have Steve Sarkeesian. Is that a long-term thing? I doubt it, right? So, but I mean, the thing, thing, same thing's going to happen to Pete Golding. If they get any kind of, if they get good whatsoever, 10, 11 games in the SEC championship, who's going to come calling for Pete Golding to move on to a new position? It's finally starting to show up in the stats. In 2016, Alabama was 27th in defending explosiveness. In 2017, two years ago, the ISO PPP rating on defense was 8th. Last year, 106th. And that wasn't just one area of the rush or the pass. It was on it was both. They were both ranked poorly in allowing them to get gashed on the ground or through the air. Now, another part of this is Tua needs to stay healthy. Tua's already got a ripped up hamstring. You can't even participate in the Manning passing in camp. Uh the offensive line has lost 129 career starts. That's gonna have Tua on the run. Uh, you know, he's thinking about the NFL. I mean, we had our ACC pod. And, you know, it's Trevor Lawrence's year to shine. He's got an easy schedule. Meanwhile, two is coming down the pipe in November with Mississippi State, LSU, Auburn. He's going to be hobbling around. He's probably going to be thinking about the NFL. So let's just get it out there. I don't think Alabama's making the playoff, and I'm going to put some money behind it to back it up. I will be right there joining you, and we also might get some, you know, they're not going to lose early, but maybe we get some inflated lines we know, and we'll talk about that. The rest of these teams are bad. I mean, Texas A&M is not a bad team. LSU, holy, I mean, LSU may be a completely different animal. Mississippi State is in year two of Joe Moorhead. We're going to get to this. Nick Fitzgerald is gone. I mean, there are sharks in the water waiting to pounce on this. Yeah, and they're at they're at Mississippi State in Stark Vegas after the LSU game, and Mississippi mm-hmm. State's off a bye for that yeah. game. So I agree with you. I mean, it sounds crazy, but uh, yeah, I'm going under their win total. Uh, I'm going, you know, no to the college football playoff. We're going to have Georgia to win the SEC, which we'll get to as a little teaser. But, I mean, obviously this team's going to be really talented. They're one of the five best teams in the country. Their offensive line 
it, you know, there's questions there, but I mean, they're, they're able to reload, but there's still, I, I still think they're just going to take a little step back, which is all I think it'll take uh, for Georgia uh, to overtake them, which we'll, and we'll get to the Bulldogs when we get to the SEC East. Let's stay in the state of Alabama and talk Auburn, their win total seven and a half over seven and a half minus minus one thirty. Yeah, they're 18 to 1 to win the SEC. How you make their win total 7.1? First mm-hmm. thing you think about with this Auburn team, their defensive front is loaded. I mean, maybe the best in the country. You know, Marlon Davidson, Nick Coe, uh, you know, big cap, Derek Brown. <laughs> I mean, it's unbelievable. And then on the offensive line, which had some issues last year, but they have five senior starters uh back on that offensive line. They have a solid back in Whitlow. But the question is who's going to emerge as the number one receiver? And also the quarterback. So, I mean, obviously that's how this offense is going to go. It's between Bo Nix, a freshman, son of a former Auburn quarterback, and Joey Gatewood. I would assume Nix is probably going to get that job. They do have a solid kicker and a solid punter, so their special teams are pretty good. And they have four starters back in the defensive backfield, some questions at linebacker. But this team is really solid if someone emerges as a quarterback and that receiver. But the problem is that schedule is brutal we talked about some we're going to talk about a lot of brutal schedules in the sec auburn doesn't have the most difficult but it might be the second or third most difficult ended in the entire country i mean they start with oregon uh in arlington that game by the way i think is going to go will decide their win total so if you like auburn Mm -hmm. you might as well not tie your money up and bet them against oregon but you know then they have a break against tulane and kent state but then they're at texas a&m home against mississippi state at florida by at arkansas another by then they're at lsu you know, then they get home against Ole Miss by they close out the year with Georgia, Sanford, Sandwich, Sandwiches, and Alabama. So, I mean, you're talking they play Oregon at Texas A&M at Florida, home against Miss State at LSU, Georgia and Alabama. Now they are at home. Uh, so if you assume that maybe they get one of Georgia or Alabama at home. And if you assume, you know, they lose at A&M at Florida and at LSU, then, you know, and they win all the games they're supposed to then basically their win total comes down to that Oregon game. What are your thoughts on the Tigers? Yeah, and if you haven't already downloaded the Action app, company man here, uh, I've already taken action on uh, Auburn versus Oregon in the first week. I think Derek Brown on their on their defensive line is the size of like all five Oregon offensive linemen combined. He's that big. He's so but much. But Oregon does have one of the best <laughs> offensive lines. That's going to be an awesome matchup. They do. Just watch the trenches in that game. But I, I think Joey Gatewood's going to be the one that plays in that game because – he is what they've been calling a Cam Newton 2.0. He's built like Cam, but he's been running the Cam offense. He's been running the miles on offense in junior high and high school. He committed uh, He committed to Auburn, I want to say, before the start of his sophomore year. This kid's been Auburn through and through for, for years, and so I think Joey Gatewood's actually going to be the one that gets to play against Auburn. But, you know, both quarterbacks are going to play. We'll see how it goes for the rest of the season. No starter has been named that really has come out of camp so far is that wide receiver Anthony Schwartz broke his hand in practice, which if you're, you know, you're thinking, well, I look on the depth chart and how many catches and how many targets he has, and it doesn't look like it's that big of a deal. He's the fastest guy out of all the wide receivers, and he's the one that's responsible for running the jet sweep. He is the go-to jet sweep. So that is something that happened, I think, yesterday in practice that I'm uh, I'm a little nervous about because, you know, I'm sure they can find another speedster to run jet sweep, but it was really Anthony Short. So he'll be out against the Oregon game. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I do love the schedule. It is tough, but they're doing the best that they can because they have two bye weeks that will come after mid-October. It is uh, it is an odd year, which means Georgia and Alabama both come home in November. I love them to beat Oregon in the first. I think they're much better than what we saw last year. They had an 85% postgame win expectancy against LSU. 
They had a 74% post-game win expectancy against Tennessee. They lost both those games. Uh, they showed up to the Music City Bowl pissed off, pissed off. And and, and Malzahn's taking the offense back. Uh, you know, the defense never really stepped back any. And they're just – I think they're they're <laughs> they're ready to just train through people like, like there's no tomorrow. So I expect Auburn to play with a chip on the shoulder. Schedule at least favors them as far as getting people at home. All we need now is some questions answered at quarterback, and this could be a year where they shake things up. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I actually thought about a month ago that that Knicks was going to get the job, but I do see that Gatewood was running with the first team a couple days ago. I think mm-hmm. where you can bet these quarterback battles at some plays, I think Gatewood's like a, a small favorite, minus 140 or minus 150. Um, so I, I do think you're right there. It, the, and no matter what happens, even if, if Auburn drop loses to Oregon, you know, it's their national title hopes are done. Now, in order for them to get the national title, it's going to take a lot. But even if they lose to Oregon, even if they lose at Texas A&M in September, and even if they lose at Florida and at LSU, they will still be a major player in the college football playoff because they play Georgia and Alabama at home late in the year. And if either of those teams are undefeated and they lose at Auburn and then you know lose in the SEC championship game, that could ultimately keep them out of the college football playoff. So Auburn's going to have a say here at the end of the year. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll have to look hard at Sanford on November 23rd. Uh, but <laughs> we have many more months to prepare for that game. Um, so yeah, it's going to come down to the quarterback and who emerges and how they play, but the schedule's brutal. Uh, they're, they're just going to be in a, a, a lot, a number of wars. Uh, all right, let's move on in the sec West and talk Texas A&M. Now, Texas A&M is another team with a vicious, vicious schedule. You could argue, I think, and we're going to get to them, that South Carolina probably has the hardest schedule in the country. And I think you could make that case, and we probably will. But Texas A&M has a top five, right? A top five hardest schedule. And they lost a lot, right? So you know, they do have Kellen Mond back at quarterback, but they lost their, you know, their star tight end, Sternberger. They also lost their star running back, Travion Williams, who's on the Bengals now. I mean, he broke this school single season record for all purpose yards last year, rushing yards. I mean, he ran for you know over 1,700 yards, almost 300 yards of receiving. And, you know, they, they also lost a lot on defense. So there's questions at linebacker. They only have one of their front seven back. And, you know, their front seven was excellent last year. Uh, they do get a kid back from injury who missed all of last year. Uh, you know, it is the second year of Mike Elko's 4 2 5 but there's you know questions at linebacker. That's, that's going to go a long way in where this defense goes. Uh, you know they're also replacing McCoy, their star center Eric McCoy, who might start for the Saints this year. So uh, you know a lot has left, and their schedule is brutal. They play at Clemson September seventh. They're in the SEC and they're going to Clemson. Uh, you know they play Auburn at home. Other than that, it's pretty easy until October, and then it's Bama at uh, Ole Miss, Miss State at home. And then they're closing out with at Georgia and at LSU. That is just awful way to close your year Mm -hmm. um, after going through that gauntlet at Georgia and then at LSU. They do have great special teams. I always got to throw that out there. Uh, You know, they probably have the best punter in the game. Brennan Mann, who could have went to the NFL last year and will be in the NFL in the future. So he's a weapon. But, you know, this team lost a ton. You make the win total 7.1. They're 30 to 1 to win the SEC. Another team that's going to have a big say in the college football playoffs since they play Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Aggies and Mr. Fisher? 
I definitely think they're a program on the rise, uh, but they're going to be a week-to-week play. They're not going to be any preseason futures for me, nothing on the under, nothing on the over. They're going to be a week-to-week play. And you named all the big boys that they have on their schedule because along with South Carolina, it is the toughest in the nation. I would not be surprised to see Texas A&M get at least one of the biggest games on their schedule between Georgia, Alabama, Clemson. It's just going to be a week-to-week assessment for me to see who they're going to get. I mean, they... I mean, they played Clemson to the wire last year. Uh, Clemson takes a step back on defense. There's no reason Kellen Mond can't come in there and and get Clemson in a spot where it's an ACC sandwich, right? It's in between Georgia Tech and Syracuse, so it's a good spot for them to go in. You know, Alabama, we've we've discussed the problems that, that I kind of have with them. Georgia may be a different story. I'm not sure about beating them. But I, Texas A&M is going to get somebody. So rather than taking an over or under on the win total, it's going to be a week-to-week thing for me. And plus, you mentioned Mike Elko. I mean, he was the savior at Notre Dame. Notre Dame went 4-8, and eight, major defensive problems. Mike Elko comes in from Wake Forest, uh, and he turns that defense around, and, and and then he took the job down here at Texas A&M with Jimbo Fisher. Problem with the defense last year for me is that they were 119th uh, in, in defending uh, explosive plays, and they were 77th in finishing drives, but they were 27th in success rate. So you hear these stats come out of my mouth already. You know, it was just the beginning of August, and all this is coming out. What it means is Texas A&M was really good at getting three and outs. They were really good at getting the other team off the field, but they would have just a uh, – just a, a lackadaisical, like a brain fart, and then people would just score. Uh, you know, so I'm good at doing three and outs, but at some point, you know, they would give up a big play at least once per game and multiple times per game. Uh, so there was, you know, not a lot of people having, uh, say, 14 play drives against them. It was more either the big play was happening or they were getting people off the field. So that's got to improve for me to start investing in Texas A&M. But, you know, I think Jimbo's kind of playing it right. He, he's, he's got the program loaded up in the recruiting pipeline. Uh, at some point, this Alabama thing is going to come down, and, and, I, and I think Texas A&M is going to be very well situated to assert themselves in the West. Yeah, I agree with you. They, I mean, they do – Mon's back with all of his receivers, and we'll see, you know, who can replace Williams. Their running game was excellent last year. Um, you know, this kid Corbin has a lot of talent. He's also a return man. I don't know if he'll still be returning if he's the feature back, which I assume he will be. The offensive line, you know, it still should be strong, but I really want to see – what happens on that defense, like you said, especially at linebacker. They lost a lot in that front seven. Obviously, they're bringing in a ton of talent, um, but I agree. I think it's a pass in the wind total, week-to-week play, um, and this team is going to get somebody. It's just a matter of who. All right, let's move on and talk about the state of Mississippi, and we'll start with a team that has no chance uh, of winning the SEC, and that's Ole Miss. They're 300 to one to win the SEC. Win total five, over five, plus 130. You make the win total 4.1. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and the question – comes you know look they're probably going to beat arkansas at home they're probably going to beat southeast louisiana at home they're probably going to beat cal at home uh maybe and vandy at home maybe right so then in order to get the five you know i'm, I'm sorry I, I say they probably split between you know if vandy and cal if you want to give them one win there and they're going to beat new mexico state at home but then where was another win uh i don't know i don't know how they would ever get the six if you assume they win all of their possibly winnable games that that's five and i don't you know, at Memphis to start, uh, they do have major revenge. But this team is going through, you know, especially for the first game of the season, enormous changes, right? So they do have the same head coach, but Rich Rodriguez is in. Uh, Phil Longo is out. Rich Rodriguez is going to implement his run-based spread option that we saw in Arizona and West Virginia and Michigan. But there's going to be a red redshirt freshman quarterback. Now, this kid, you know, does have swag and who knows how good he's going to be. But they all they have is freshman, a quarterback. Uh, on their roster. And then they also have Mike McIntyre coming in and they're moving to a three, four defense. But you know, this offense, which was electric, they've led the sec in passing. I think the last like, five years, they lost their top three wideouts, you know, most notably DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, also lodge. 
They're also rebuilding their offensive line. The only constant on this offense is running back Scotty Phillips. Depth is also a huge issue. It's what sanctions will do to you. So I see only five, a maximum of five wins on the schedule uh, if they get these home games that could, you know, Vanderbilt and Cal, not, not necessarily a lock, uh, even Arkansas. Uh, so I, I don't, I think you either have to go, I think you have to go under here. Uh, they're much more likely to win four games than six. I will say that, you know, they do get 10 starters back on the defense, but the defense wasn't great and it's going through a transition here. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Rebels? You know, there, there's a lot of question marks here. I mean, we're 116th in returning production, uh, especially with the loss of Jordan to Amu. And then we have a three, we have a three headed head coach monster here between Matt Luke, Rich Rodriguez and Mike McIntyre, which is interesting because, you know, Rich Rodriguez and Mike McIntyre were just facing each other in the Pac-12 uh, not too long ago, but I mean, just a complete mystery up and down from the coaching staff and, and the players. And you just don't know how those three head coaches are going to interact with each other. You don't know like what kind of alpha males they are. Cause generally when you get that many egos in the room, it, it could be, it could be bad. They could all like each other and understand what the role is, but you just don't ever know. So yeah, the red shirt freshman you're talking about Matt uh, uh, Corrals, I think is his name. Most famous for uh, uh, slapping around a D-back during the Egg Bowl in the end zone and getting into a big fight there. So, ex-Florida commit. He looks – what was the name of that kid, the Henderson kid at Ole Miss that was always popping his jersey and pissing people off? It kind of reminded me of that. So. Marshall, the land shark. That's right. That's right. So, you know, with these guys, it's tough to see them get a road win against Memphis, Bama, Missouri, Auburn, Mississippi State, and that leaves them having to beat LSU – or Texas A&M at home to catch an over ticket. And I just don't see it. The only play here is on the under. Yep. Completely agree with you. All right. Let's stay in the state of Mississippi and talk about a much more intriguing team in my eyes, uh, Mississippi state, their win total seven and a half at Westgate over seven and a half minus half minus one fifty. You make their win total 9.1. They're 50 to one to win the sec. One of the major, now this defense was, insane last year i think they led the nation in yards per play that defensive line was so good and they're replacing two first rounders uh and they're also replacing both of their safeties but you know they're really going to miss sweat and simmons they're also replacing nick fitzgerald which could be addition by subtraction quarterback battle and i don't know who the favorite is as of now uh you know it was supposed to be keaton thompson you know tommy stevens from penn state then transferred in he obviously knows joe moorhead's system uh they both used to be at penn state there are questions about wide receiver, but how much did we really know about the wide receivers last year with Nick Fitzgerald throwing it? So they could be better, uh, you know, than we think if they can get a passing game going. Uh, they do have, you know, again, a tough schedule, uh, especially in October. They're at Auburn at the end of September, then a bye. Then they're at Tennessee, home against LSU, at Texas A&M, at Arkansas. That's only one home game over a stretch of, what, five, six weeks. Then they finish up with Bama, Abilene Christian, and then... Ole Miss in the Egg Bowl. So, you know, there's there's some wins here, but it is a difficult schedule. I mean, you're going to Texas A&M. You have Bama at home. You're going to Auburn. You make their win total 9.1. I'm assuming you like the over here and you're a little high on Miss State who just needs – they need to find – you know, they have some replacements to do on defense, and they need to just find an offense because in their four losses last year, you know, in the regular season, they scored 7-6-3-0 and zero in their four losses. Um, so what are your thoughts on the Bulldogs? I'm a Joe Moorhead believer. The more I see out of Penn State, the more I'm a believer in Joe Moorhead. And the more that I'm hearing Josh Gaddis up at Michigan talk about how he's going to use concepts that he learned 
around Joe Moorhead, uh, that makes me believe more in Joe Moorhead. Then when I see what's going on at LSU and the hiring of Brady, and I look into Brady's past and I realize that he is a Joe Moorhead protege, uh, at some point you've got to probably realize that Nick Fitzgerald was (laughs) – it was just a really tough year, a 51% completion rate. Uh, 12 yards per completion. He was sacked 8% of his dropbacks, a 16 to 9 TD to INT ratio. It was bad. It was lifeless. It was like crawling through a desert and looking for water when Nick Fitzgerald was back behind center. It was just ugly last year. But, you know, Thompson never got in. That told me a lot. If he's never getting into the game and Fitzgerald was playing the way that he was, I, I didn't understand if it was just protection of Thompson and, and how, and, you know, and, and what is, uh, you know, how long he was going to be around the program or the reason why he didn't get on the field last year was always a big question to me. But Tommy Stevens, transfers in now he should be the starting quarterback yeah. uh thompson's got two years of eligibility stevens is a senior so i mean he, he's coming in just for a one and done this is a quarterback with tommy stevens that narrowly lost a quarterback uh position years ago under jor moorhead so it was it was very close that could have been tommy stevens in the rose bowl that could have been tommy stevens at penn state the last couple of years it was that close so the defense is going to step back they lose their top three tacklers in the defensive line uh you know they're losing three of their top four tacklers in the secondary but they start off with ull they start off with southern miss kansas state kentucky uh this is going to be an experienced group by the time we get to the middle of the season and i'm just a moorhead believer the more i'm reading it of things that are happening at other programs the more i'm believing in joe moorhead yeah no i I would tend to agree i think it's over or nothing with Mississippi State, uh, and let's finish up the SEC West and talk some LSU Tigers. We'll be joined shortly by Brody Miller from The Athletic, the LSU beat writer. Before we get to him, ask him a few questions uh, about LSU and what he's seeing uh, in the preseason. Their win total is nine, over nine, minus 130 at Westgate. You make it uh, close to eight and a half. They're 12 to one to win the SEC. Look, this team brings a ton back. Uh, obviously, Joe Burrow, who we'll talk a lot about during the season at quarterback. We're about to see what Joe Burrow's really made of. And anybody that knows our team, we're made of grit. Uh, you know, their secondary is stacked, uh, led by Grant Delpit. But this team is experienced. They bring a lot back. There's going to be some changes, which we'll talk about. Uh, but this schedule, again, another SEC team with a vicious schedule. They start with Georgia Southern at home. We can safely give them a win there. Also, Northwestern State at home. But they're... At Texas on September 7th. We're going to have some hot picks on that game, let me tell you that. Uh, You know, they have Florida. They're at Miss State. They have Auburn at home. They're at Alabama. And they finish up with Texas A&M at home. Those are tough games. Uh, What are your thoughts on LSU before we get to Brody? Be locking myself at home here in a bunker when that Texas LSU game's going on. Uh, So, yeah, I looked in the advanced stats. I can't find anything in there that's uh, clutch. Now, I think one of our callers last year called it uh, the size of Coach O's big balls. But, you know, Joe Burrow was one of the most clutch quarterbacks last year. I mean, he started off slow in the season, uh, started winning specifically that Auburn game that they were behind. Uh, you know, and it doesn't show in the stats. They were 86 in passing downs efficiency. They were 107th in explosiveness. Yet they get to a Fiesta Bowl and they take on Central Florida. And what do you know? They're lining up four wides. I mean, Joe Burrow got his clock clean in that game at the beginning in the first quarter. And then he comes out. He has... Six passes of 20-plus yards, four of them were for touchdowns. Four of his touchdowns were explosive plays, something that we had never seen the entire season. Almost every single receiving target returns. The offensive line goes eight deep in experience. Uh, They're projected to be the number one defense in 2019 per S&P+. All that stands in their way is road games with Texas, Mississippi State, Alabama. And so the question really honestly needs to be asked, does a one-loss LSU team get playoff consideration? Assuming that loss is to... 
say, in Alabama, uh, whoever's going to represent the West in the SEC championship game, because I think it's a real possibility, especially, you know, we'll find out more about with uh, Brady coming in to be the pass game coordinator. But, uh, I mean, LSU is legit this year. All right, so in order to get a little more insight from an insider, we now have Brody Miller from The Athletic joining us, LSU beat writer. He actually just came from the LSU practice, uh, so I'm sure he's going to have a lot to say. Uh, what's going on, Brody? Do you want to give a quick background about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, hey guys, how's it going? Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a guy from South Jersey, Philadelphia area, went to Indiana University, covered Mississippi sports, SEC football a little bit for the Clarion Ledger there. And then now I've been covering LSU football for, I'm on my second season right now. So, and then I just joined the athletic this summer. So I'll just start, you know, right off the bat, I'll ask you, what is the ceiling for this team? We talked about the tough schedule and Colin mentioned like, look, they could potentially get through this with one loss. So what is, you know, a realistic ceiling for this team? What has to go right to get there? And then on the other side of the coin, you know, what's the floor and what would go wrong for them to get to that point. Yeah, I'd say the ceiling, I'd have to agree with Colin. It, this team generally says healthy. I think this is a chance to be Dave Aranda's best defense, at least in a long time. And then, and then it's obviously a huge if, because obviously you hear it every single year with LSU. But if this, you know, the new additions to this Joe Brady offense and whatnot actually turn out how they're claiming it will, I think this team has massive upside. And that's why, you know, I would understand if somebody considered them one of the you know, five best teams in the country. So I think if that all comes together, their upside to me is an 11-win team that your only loss is Alabama, and that I could totally see them backdooring their way into a college football playoff in that scenario. But on the other hand, it is a brutal schedule, and it's like in a vacuum, I think they're better than 11 of the, te- 11 of the teams they play this year, but you still have a questionable line. You know, there are a few areas on defense uh-huh. that they have a lot of top-heavy talent, but they're kind of thin. It's kind of top-heavy, you know, defensive line. They've had a lot of injury issues there. Cornerback, they have two star cornerbacks in Christian Fulton and Derek Stingley. But after that, it's pretty much all freshmen. So that's a little scary. There, there are, in theory, scenarios where things could go all wrong. You know, you got a lot of sneaky, tough games in there. You know, obviously Texas and Utah State's in the no slouch. You know, and you have that brutal four-game stretch where you're going, you know, at Mississippi State. You're going at Alabama. And then you have Auburn and Florida at home. Not in that order, but... You know, I could definitely see this team possibly going eight and four if a certain if a few things went wrong. So at the end of the day, though, I think ten and two is probably the most realistic scenario. So the the big news for LSU for me is Joe Brady coming in as the pass game coordinator. So for everybody that doesn't know, he's a Joe Moorhead guy. Uh, he comes from the Joe Moorhead uh, line of thinking. And last year, there's a you know we we track standard downs run rate and passing downs run rate, and that says compared to all the other teams in college football, how often do you run say in a standard down like a first and ten versus how often do you run in a passing down, which is like a third and twelve. And LSU was top thirty five in rushing attempts during standard downs, and they were top fifty in running during passing downs. It's very run heavy, which is what you expect from LSU and from and from the you know the previous administrations with the offensive coordinator. But with Joe Brady coming in, do we expect to see changes in how often we're passing the ball? Like, could we possibly be throwing on first and second down? I do. I do think that will happen. I think it's also worth mentioning that last year, I mean, last year I, I, that was a very, very flawed offense. But I think a lot of it mm-hmm. was they had ideas to do what they're doing this year. And one, I just don't think they had the right – maybe the coaching staff wasn't quite equipped for that, and that's kind of where Joe Brady's coming in, where in terms of like Steve Enzinger is still the offensive coordinator – and technically calling the shots, but Brady, somebody probably just understands that team better. And then also, I think there's so many things went wrong on the offensive roster where 
I think the offensive line was so much worse than they expected it to be. They only had one healthy tight end. They just had all these things, and a lot of their – they were relying on some freshman receivers who weren't quite there, and they just weren't able to do the things they wanted to do. And then because of that, I think we're kind of – and some of it should fall on the coaching staff and the decision-making because I think they went about it the wrong way. But they were kind of forced to to just go back to running the ball, which was not really the plan there. And, and I, I do think – so just by that alone, I think you'll see a change. Yeah, it's going to be a different-looking offense because the, the philosophy is different. I mean, even when you had a, a Matt Canada or a Steve Enslinger and they're trying to change the thing, it was still a kind of old-school way of thinking about how to approach this. And I think Joe Brady, he wants the ball out in two seconds. He wants – you know, he doesn't want a running back or a tight end staying in the block anymore. He, he does not believe in that. I think he just wants – he thinks to take the pressure off the offensive line, you got to get the ball out just fast and spread that defense out. So I do think we'll see a big change there. And also, I just think it goes down to where's your talent on this team? Your talent mm-hmm. is at the receiving positions right now, and I think you just have to get the most out of that. That's a great point because, I mean, even last year when you said it's a flawed offense, that was obvious because I think the stat that they had floating around a year ago this time last August was we don't have one running back on roster that's ever scored a touchdown. <laughs> it's like the first time in LSU history. But still, they went with, you know, they still went with the same old offense to start off the season, and then it kind of progresses the season went along. And then by the time they got to the Fiesta Bowl, they threw 34 times for 394 yards. Uh, Joe Burrow had six passing plays over over 20 yards, and four of those were for touchdowns. I mean, we had never seen this out of LSU before. Is this game against Central Florida with these explosive passing plays and racking up all these points, is that what initiated the thought process in changing the philosophy at LSU? It's a great question. I think it goes back to, I think that's what they always wanted. But then when things got rough early, I think they panicked and reverted too far the other way last season. You know, when that offensive line mm-hmm. started struggling, they decided, oh, we're going to max protect and keep you guys back every single time. And that's how we're going to fix that. While Joe Brady actually believes the exact opposite is the way to address me of a bad offensive line. So I think that bowl game was the first time they realized, and I don't want to speak for them, but it seemed like that was the first time they realized, hey, these, this isn't working everything we're doing. We need to go back to what we actually wanted to do and just spread the ball out, let Joe Burrow do his thing. And then you saw it. And then I think it was more, and then, yeah, they, they really liked Joe Brady and hearing these things about him. Joe Brady, it's worth mentioning, is also the guy who they brought in the summer before to teach Steve Enzinger and some of these people about how to change their offense a little bit. And this time they're like, all right, didn't quite work with what we were doing. Let's just go to the source here. But to answer your question, I don't think that's what sparked it, but I do think that was just proof that, okay, we no longer can try to rest on our laurels here and just be LSU and outpower people. It works when you do this. So I think it was more the final nail in the coffin, if that makes sense. I love Inspinger and uh, Coach O having this good old boy network, and Joe Brady's going to come in and say, okay, boys, this is how we throw the ball. So I'm really looking forward to that. But I think one question that I'm going to have is week one, we're going to see them play Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern's going to line up. They're going to run the triple option. It's going to be – they're going to try to make it as boring as possible. They're going to try to keep LSU's – uh, offense off of the field. How much of the true offense, the true playbook that that you know they're running down there, they're installing plays. Uh, you're just off the hot off the practice field right now. How much of what they're actually building in practices right now do you think that we'll actually see against Georgia Southern? Yeah, I've heard we're going to see very little. I'm sure there'll be a few mm-hmm. like things in there to to just make fans happy that they're seeing the new offense. But in general, I I think I think if it was up to Joe Brady, he would literally just go up on day one and run the ball up the middle. 30 times a game. I think just to just hide everything. So I don't think we'll see much. I think the better question is almost because back where you're saying about, you know, the old boy network and then you're bringing in the new guy. Mm-hmm. I'm interested most to see what happens week five or six. If things ever get a little hairy with this offense, what happens then? Because we all know the stories of what happened with Matt Canada and Ed Ogeron 
and you know how you know Edwards <laughs> kind of limited with what he could do with his offense. They kind of changed what they did there. I'm really curious of if the second things get bad, do they just stick with what they want to do there, or do do they go back and go back to what their old school ways? And I'm really interested to see that. Matt Canada, I think, sitting at home these days and his BFFs with Coach O. If if, you, if anybody didn't know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. We've talked a lot about Matt Canada uh, on this podcast in the past. Um, I know that you said you're a fan of the podcast, which we appreciate. Uh, so you know that I always like to talk about special teams. Cole Tracy last year, kicker, amazing story, and he was amazing. Think third third team All American. So they lose him, uh, which you know could become a huge storyline in some of these close games in this tough schedule. So what's the outlook for his replacement and the special teams in general? I think that's the most unspoken thing of how this team was able to win 10 games last year was they won so many tight games purely because they were one of the best punt efficiency teams in the country. Cole Tracy won them games. I think that was the the huge little minor factor that people won't really notice. But to answer your question, uh, they're bringing in a freshman who's one of the top pickers in the country in Katie York out of of Texas. And, you know, I mean, listen, no, by no means would I ever predict he's going to be as solid as, as Cole Tracy was last year. Of course not. But, you know, I, I talked to Greg McMahon, the special teams coordinator, about this. He's a guy who's had a long NFL career before he came here. And I asked, you know, what are you looking for in a kicker? And the main thing he went for, the main reason he fell in love with Cole Tracy and now why he loved Cade York, is, you know, hey, the, the, the kicking things, you know, that those are things that, you, you know, you generally know what you're getting. But he wants a guy who's proven that he can just handle that situation. He wants the guy who, you know, the quarterback wants to hang out with. I know it's a corny thing, and I, I find myself realizing that. But, like, he wants that guy, the guy who can handle that Tiger Stadium you know, experience and everyone you talk to about Cade York, and I have, I have a story coming out next week about this, is everyone you talk to about Cade York thinks says he's a guy who can handle that. So do I think he's going to be as reliable day-to-day as Cole Tracy? No, because Cole Tracy's the all-time leading field goal kicker. Of course not. But it sounds like he's somebody who can at least maybe make that big kick in a tough situation. I think one thing that's going to be really interesting to follow is, you know, they're losing Josh Grout, and he just he decided to transfer this summer. And, you know, what they did, they, break, they broke up their punting game last year where they had Zach von Rosenberg as your long-distance guy and Josh Grouden as your, your short-distance guy. And that was a huge part of their success. They had two guys who were kind of masters of two different things. Grouden's gone. Now von Rosenberg is going to be taking over all, all facets of punting. I'm really interested to see if he can also handle those short-distance punts because they were so efficient at that last year. And then the last thing with special teams is their punt return was just, I mean, genuinely awful last year. They fumbled punts. They never had any big plays off punts. It was, and it was, I, you know, next to the offensive line, probably the biggest issue with the team. You bring in Derek Stingley, who's the number one, arguably the number one player in the whole country uh, coming into this class. And, you know, you hear these things like, oh, he's almost like a Reggie Bush back there and things like that. And of course you don't want to buy that, but it's, it's absurd. The reviews you hear about this guy back there as a punt returner. So, I think you'll also see an, an, an improvement there while maybe a, a, a decrease on the other areas. Fair enough. Uh, so let me close with this. You mentioned that there's a couple, by the way, that Georgia Southern LSU game under City week one. But you said there's a couple <laughs> yes. sneaky spots. So two-part question to close here. What is one game that LSU fans should be worried about that they might not be? And then what is your prediction on their wins? And would you bet uh, over or under nine wins um or does that seem about right i guess my quick answer is that it seems about right um but then to go back i mean i think the games that i'm most scared of you know texas everyone jumps out at but i just have this i personally think else you beat texas kind of handily i don't know if, but but the ones i i think you got to worry about more are your you know florida coming into tiger stadium 
what's one thing we know? Dan Mullen and Todd Grantham have had a lot of success against Ed, Ed O'Gron and, and Dave Aranda here. So, I mean, that's one you're pretty scared of, I think, in my opinion. And then you got, you know, those games where it's not jumping out of you, but, you know, you go to Starkville October 19th. I personally think Mississippi State's going to be a little better than some people think, and that's what I'm a little scared of. Or, or Auburn, I just think that stretch before Alabama, Florida, Mississippi State, and Auburn, I think you're favored in all three of those games, but you just imagine at least one of those you trip up on. And, and then obviously you go into Alabama, and I think you lose that game. So going back to the over-under, I think nine's a pretty perfect line, but I think at the end of the day, 10-2 and two would be my – and I think I go 10-2 and two is my prediction if this offense can be what you think it is. You lose one game in that three-game stretch I mentioned, and you go 10-2 and two and get a New Year's Six Bowl. I think that's my prediction, so my answer is the over. If they get signed up to beat UCF again, I'll take that all day. I'll take that every year in the postseason. I, I would love UCF to get a pounding from LSU every year. I'll take it. <laughs> that was brutal because the forgotten thing about that is LSU had, I think, six starters out on defense in that game. Right. And still a bloodbath. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for joining us, Brody. Uh, good stuff right from the practice. No one covers LSU better. We'll have to get you on during the season uh, for one of those big weeks, maybe ahead of Texas or Alabama or a couple oh, times. Texas. We, we appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. Thanks, brother. Thanks to our guest, Brody Miller. And thanks, as always, to Colin for joining me. Look, we're now talking days until the first college football game uh so thank you for listening make sure you rate review if you haven't already subscribe unsubscribe you know the deal and we'll catch you all next time cheers peace out